Welcome to the Deep Roots at Home podcast. For those of you new here, the Deep Roots at Home website was founded by Jackie in 2011. As a retired RN, longtime homeschooler, past Lyme sufferer with a love of preventative natural medicinals, Jackie has encouraged women for years now. Our desire is to spread truth and important information during these recent deceptive times, as well as the practicals of homemaking and all things beautiful. Whether you are listening in the car, while you're making dinner for your children, or sitting with a relaxing cup of tea, welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to be talking about fevers in children, and why knocking down a fever is like shooting your attack dog in a burglary. So stay tuned. Today we have three articles from Jackie's website on Deep Roots at Home, and the first one is called, Knocking Down a Fever is Like Shooting Your Attack Dog in a Burglary, otherwise known as Fever, Knowing When to Medicate and When to Let It Run, let it run Its Course. Even as a little girl, mother often told me it was best to watchfully let a fever run its course. She told her mother, my nana, that had taught her the same thing and that the germs couldn't live without the heat. So cautiously over time, and later with a mother's intuition born of experience, I've used her example in the illnesses of our own children, despite what I was taught in nursing school. Recently, there has been confirmation from the American Academy of Pediatrics that it is best in most cases to let the fever run its course without medication, with good hydration and a watchful eye, of course. So because a fever can help your child fight an infection, especially a viral infection, it's a good idea to let it run its course. But if a fever climbs high enough to cause discomfort, irritability, or dehydration, moderating it through some good age-old practices, not medication, can help the patient to rest or sleep or get back to play. As Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson said, our goal isn't to take a temperature from 103 degrees down to 101 but to take a child that feels that doesn't feel well and make them feel better. Watch the child, not the thermometer. Here are some methods to increase comfort without medication. Place a cool, damp washcloth on your child's forehead while she rests and replace it when it's no longer cool. It works like a radiator to remove excess heat from her body. Give your child a lukewarm, tepid tub bath or a sponge bath. As water evaporates from her skin, it will cool and bring her temperature down, but don't use cold water. That can cause shivering and make the body temperature rise again. Similarly, don't use rubbing alcohol. That's a dangerous old-fashioned fever remedy. It can cause a temperature spike and possibly even alcohol poisoning. Offer your child plenty of fluids. Chilled foods such as a banana mashed up for a baby or cut up and 20 minutes in the fridge yogurt, or applesauce to help hydrate and cool the body from the inside out. Skin to skin, kangaroo care, moderates and rebalances the fever in a baby or a child. And a reader reminded me, my grandma used to let fever run its course also and wipe my feet down with witch hazel, the radiator effect. I guess it worked because I'm never sick and have no ailments at 65. Turn on a fan. Keep the fan at a low setting and circulate the air around your child rather than blow directly to prevent chilling. Peppermint oil. 
Applied topically, this brings comfort and relief from an elevated temperature. Mix two to three drops of the oil with a half a teaspoon of a carrier oil. Massage into the temples and forehead for headache and fever relief. For children over two and a half, rub this mixture on the back of the neck. Remove layers of clothing so that your child can lose heat more easily through the skin. Dress in one light layer. If shivering, give your child a light blanket until the shivering stops. Stay indoors in a cool place. If outside, stay in the shade. Apple cider vinegar soaked socks or ACV compress to the torso works well. That's an old timey method. Take a baking soda bath. Soak one cup of Arm & Hammer for 20 minutes. It raises your pH balance and boosts the immune system. With the younger children, try a quarter cup for 10 minutes. It still makes a difference. Andrew Well, MD, says, whenever the immune system successfully deals with an infection, it emerges from the experience stronger and better able to confront similar threats in the future. Our immune system develops in combat. If, at the first sign of infection, you always jump in with antibiotics, you do not give the immune system a chance to grow stronger. So what temperature constitutes a fever? A normal temperature is 97 to 99 degrees, or 36 to 37.2 Celsius. A low-grade fever is 99 to 100.9 degrees, or 37.3 to 38.3 Celsius. A common fever is 101 to 103.5 degrees, or 34.4 to 39.7 Celsius. And a high fever is any temperature over 103.6 degrees, or 39.8 Celsius. So here are a few guidelines. 104 degrees would be the time to call your pediatrician and see what they say. If your baby's under three months old and has a temperature of over 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit, you should call the doctor rather than try to bring the fever down yourself. But normally, a fever for up to three days can be normal and productive to fight an infection. Many infectious agents do not survive in elevated temperatures. So your body increases the temperature in an, in an effort to eradicate the infection. It is a healthy response. Seizures. Febrile seizures are addressed in the British Journal of Medicine, a BJM study involving the use of antipyretics such as paracetamol, Tylenol, and ibuprofen. Children with high risk of reoccurrences of febrile seizures, complex features of febrile seizures, family history of febrile seizures, age less than one year, low-grade fever at the onset of febrile seizures. These children develop reoccurrences in at least 80%, while those without these risk factors rarely develop reoccurrences. Antipyretics are used for both groups of children, suggesting it's these risk factors and not antipyretics, which are the crucial determination of the risk of reoccurrence. Don't give aspirin to children. Aspirin puts children at risk for a rare but potentially fatal illness called Rye syndrome. There is a difference in over-the-counter fever reducers like acetaminophen or ibuprofen. Tylenol, acetaminophen, seems to have less side effects. Ibuprofen is recommended only for children six months and older, and they both have side effects, so please use judiciously. Now the American Academy of Pediatrics has overruled what I was taught in nursing school. A new report in pediatrics states 
that not only is there no need to bring down a temperature in an otherwise healthy child, but in fact, the researchers determined that bringing fevers down could actually prolong illness. Also, let me add this. In my experience, oftentimes an illness is the body preparing for growth. Children either physically grow a week or so after being sick, or they would develop a new skill. Illness is not always the enemy. So, mother was right. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Stay tuned for more. When it comes to vaccines, most mothers and fathers want to know facts, not others' opinions. Jackie wished she had known more facts when she went in for her first well-baby visit. Because Jackie strongly promotes parental choice, she felt led to write a short treatise with personal facts. This vaccination ebook is pretty concise to allow you, the parent, to read, research into the studies she shares, and come up with your own decisions. Jackie's sincere desire is that you and your children thrive, and so she presents to you the vaccination ebook free of charge. Simply go to deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash vital dash info dash ebook forward slash. So let's talk a little bit more about fevers and the fear of febrile seizures, a children's hospital guide of myths versus facts. This myth fact sheet that you can find on Jackie's website in this article that I will post in the show notes below is from the Seattle Hospital Children's Hospital Research Foundation. Jackie's added some other research data to give greater clarity. Their article says, many parents have false beliefs, myths about fever. They think fever will hurt their child. They worry and lose sleep when their child has a fever. This is called fever fever phobia. In fact, fevers are harmless and often helpful. So let these facts help you better understand them. Let's talk about the facts versus myths. Myth, my child feels warm, so she has a fever. Fact, children can feel warm for many reasons. Some examples are playing hard, crying, getting out of a warm bed or hot weather. They are giving off heat. Their skin's temperature should return to normal in about 20 minutes. About 80% of children who are sick and feel warm do have a fever. If you want to be sure, take your temperature. Using different types of thermometers, your child you can see whether your child has a fever if you use a rectal bottom temperature or an ear or forehead temperature. You want it to be 100.4 Fahrenheit. 38.0 Celsius or higher for them to have a fever. If you have an oral or a mouth temperature, it should be, it would be 100, point, 100 Fahrenheit or 37.8 Celsius or higher if he or she has a fever. And if it's under the arm, in the armpit, it would be 99.99 Fahrenheit or 37.2 Celsius or higher. Under the arm is the least accurate. Myth. All fevers are bad for children. Fact. Fevers turn on the body's immune system. They help the body fight infection. Normal fevers between 100 and 104 Fahrenheit, 37.8 to 40 Celsius, are good for normally healthy sick children. Myth. The exact number of the temperature is very important. Fact. How your child looks and acts is what's important. The exact temperature number is not. Myth. 
Fevers above 104 Fahrenheit or 40 degrees Celsius are dangerous. They can cause brain damage. Fact, fevers with infections don't cause brain damage. Only temperatures above 107 degrees Fahrenheit or 41.6 Celsius can cause brain damage. It's very rare for the body temperature to climb this high. It only happens if the air temperature is very high. An example would be if a child is left in a closed car during hot weather. The U.S. National Library of Medicine, Medline Plus, agrees. Brain damage from a fever generally will not occur unless the fever is over 107.6 Fahrenheit or 42 degrees Celsius. Untreated fevers caused by infection will seldom go over 105 Fahrenheit or 40.6 Celsius unless the child is overdressed or in an enclosed hot place. Another myth, anyone can have a seizure triggered by fever. Fact, only 4% of children can have a seizure with fever. A febrile seizure in children can happen as low as 100.4 Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius or above. It's been noted that the incidence of both initial and recurrent febrile seizures is highest in children aged 14 to 18 months, which happens to be the same time developmentally critical time period when young children receive up to nine vaccines for 13 different diseases. Since the establishment of the Vaccine Safety Data Link Project initiated by the CDC in 1990 to study adverse effects after childhood immunizations, an association was reported between certain vaccinations and febrile seizures. This is what they found and it should be common knowledge. Number one, studies by Bar Barlow et al. found a st statistically significant risk of febrile seizures eight to 14 days after administration of the measles, mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine. Number two, the whole cell pertussis vaccine was also found to be associated with an increased risk of febrile seizures on the day of administration and SIDS. Another myth, seizures with fever are harmful. Fact, these seizures are scary to watch, but they stop within two to five minutes. They don't cause any permanent harm. They don't increase the risk for speech delays, learning problems, or seizures without fever. Febrile seizures can run in families. I agree, and I wonder, could this be due to MTHFR, poor methylation, among other underlying causes? I respectfully disagree that they don't cause permanent harm, though. Studies published over the past two decades clearly indicate that certain vaccines and vaccine combinations independently increase a child's risk of developing a febrile seizure. This consistent finding has generated surprisingly little concern among most vaccine researchers who dismiss the risk as small. Vaccinations associated with increased risk of febrile seizure include the following, the MMR, the MMR varicella vaccine, the combined TDTAP, and hemophilus influenzal type B vaccine, the whole cell pertussis vaccine, the seven valiant pneumococcal conjugate vaccine, and concomitant administration of the trivalent inactivated influenza vaccine with either the seven valiant pneumococcal conjugate vaccine or the DTAP. Despite being a higher risk group, children receiving these vaccinations should not receive prophylactic antipyretics as no statistically significant reduction in the rate of febrile seizures has been documented, and prophylactic antipyretic use potentially decreases the immune response to certain vaccines. 
Also, research in humans has pointed to increased risk for Tourette syndrome and developmental delays following some types of febrile seizures. Myth. This myth is that without treatment, fevers will, go, will keep going higher. And the fact is wrong because the brain knows when the body's too hot. Most fevers from infection don't go above 103 or 104 Fahrenheit, which would be 39.5 or 40 Celsius. They rarely go to 105 or 106 Fahrenheit, 40.6 or 41.1 Celsius. While these are high fevers, they also are considered harmless ones. Myth. With treatment, fevers should come down to normal. And the fact is, with treatment, most fevers come down 2 or 3 degrees Fahrenheit or 1 or 1 and a half degrees Celsius. Myth. Once the fever comes down with medicines, it should stay down. And the fact is it's normal for fevers with most viral infections to last for two or three days. When the fever medicine wears off, the fever will come back. The fever will go away and not return once the body overpowers the virus. Most often, this is day three or four. Myth. If the fever is high, the cause is serious. When the fact is, if the fever is high, the cause may or may not be serious. If your child looks very sick, the cause is more likely to be serious. Myth. Oral temperatures between 98.7 and 100, point f- and 100 Fahrenheit or 37.1 to 37.8 Celsius are low-grade fevers. Fact. These temperatures are normal. The normal body temperature changes through the day. It peaks in the late afternoon and evening. A true low-grade fever is 100 Fahrenheit to 102 Fahrenheit or 37.8 to 39 Celsius. So in summary, keep this in mind that fever is fighting off your child's infection. Fever's one of the good guys. It's no secret that Jackie absolutely loves TRS. Here is another fantastic testimony. Our three-year-old has been so much more affectionate and loving. She's autistic and has sensory issues, so her tendency has always been to go off by herself to play, and she would actively avoid social and physical contact. Being incredibly sensitive can be so isolating. I'm delighted to report that after six months of TRS, she's so much more sociable and affectionate. It's astounding. She initiates cuddles, welcomes kisses, hugs her big sister, likes hanging out with her little brother, asks grandma to pick her up, and makes sure she's in the company of family regardless of what she's doing. She wakes up every morning with a huge grin, ready to have fun and play. We are so grateful to see our little girl blossoming and joining the world, wanting connection and affection, making eye contact and sharing laughter. Thank you, TRS. For more information, please go to www.deeprootsathomes.com forward slash TRS. That's deeprootsathome.com forward slash TRS. So let's talk a little bit more of if you vaccinate, why you don't give glutathione depleting acetaminophen or Tylenol. After reading Dr. Erica Crumbeck's post, just say no to Tylenol, acetaminophen linked to autism, I feel the need to share this with you. In published research, compelling evidence is shown that acetaminophen does not cause autism, but it increases the incidence of autism, attention deficit with hyperactivity, and asthma in genetically or metabolically susceptible children. Tragically, we don't often know who those susceptible children are until they suffer damage. 
Acetaminophen is sold as Tylenol or paracetamol. In other countries, you may see Panadol or Calpol. In the U.S., acetaminophen is sold over-the-counter, in spite of the fact that it results in deaths for hundreds of Americans each year. The study compared autism rates in the U.S. with Cuba, where acetaminophen is not widely used. Autism in the United States is 298% higher than in Cuba. And it all starts with glutathione. Oxidation happens in the body when cells make energy, which is all the time, especially your brain and liver, which never stops working. Harmful, unstable molecules called free radicals are created as a byproduct. Free radicals are bad because they can damage cell DNA, potentially causing permanent mutations. The body uses antioxidants to scavenge free radicals, neutralizing them so they can't damage the DNA or any other part of the cell. Glutathione is the body's most important self-made antioxidant. Glutathione is also, can absorb the impact of many of the normal free radicals, but when the body takes a large oxidative hit, like ingredients and vaccines and other constant environmental toxins added together, it causes the depletion of active glutathione. You may say it's all used up. There's not enough to go around cleaning up. The result is lots and lots and lots of oxidative damage, especially in the liver and the brain. Glutathione is especially important because it's highly active in the brain, unlike most other antioxidants. Imagine what would happen if you deplete glutathione in the brain. You end up with oxidative damage, inflammation, and sometimes permanent brain injury. And is there a pharmaceutical known for depleting glutathione? Unfortunately, yes. It's acetaminophen, or Tylenol. A number of scientists, including the prestigious JAMA Pediatrics, have independently published molecular mechanisms by which acetaminophen can inf induce inflammation. The drug can profoundly alter toxin met metabolism and inflammatory processes in the body. It actually makes sense that acetaminophen causes brain damage in some children. Acetaminophen is the last remaining drug in a particular class of relatively toxic drugs that is derived from coal tar. It's the only drug left in its class not discontinued because of toxicity. It's already known to be associated with the development of asthma in children. Oddly enough, it was not known if acetaminophen actually works, worked to alleviate fever in children. Dr. Erica Krumbeck explains this way better than I could. Quote, it makes a lot of sense, actually, given what we know about oxidative damage in the brain. Many children with ASD have poor transsulfuration and methylation. They can't make glutathione, and even worse, they can't activate many neurotransmitters in the brain. Remember that glutathione is one of the few compounds that can cross the blood-brain barrier, which makes it extremely important in the prevention of neurological disorders. So this is why Tylenol could possibly trigger autism in kids who are genetically susceptible. Please understand me on this one. Not every child who gets Tylenol will get autism. And not every child who, get, who has the gene and gets Tylenol will get autism. I believe that developing ASD is a combination of genes and environmental insult. Basically, you must be genetically predisposed and then be exposed to a multitude of things that deplete glutathione. So let's talk for just a second about acetaminophen Tylenol during pregnancy. A very large study in Norway published in the JAMA Pediatrics showed that the use of acetaminophen by mothers during pregnancy was associated with developmental problems in children at three years of age. 
Children had problems with their emotions, aggression, attention, and gross motor skills. So far, ibuprofen use is not associated with these problems. In a 2008 study led by Stephen Schultz, University of California at San Diego, found that children given acetaminophen after vaccination against measles, mumps, and rubella developed autism eight times as often as children given ibuprofen. Acetaminophen's maker, Johnson & Johnson, periodically comes under fire for the drug's small therapeutics index. That is, the difference between an effective dose and a dangerous dose is really quite small. So, Interest in investigating the drug persists. So here's the bottom line. Avoid acetaminophen. Do not give acetaminophen before or after your child's vaccinations. So now that you've learned about the dangers of some of these drugs and the way that it depletes the glutathione when you give Tylenol, and you've also learned that fevers are not as scary as so often we make them out to be, here are a few alternative suggestions. Be aware and avoid pain relievers and fever reducers whenever possible. Don't assume your baby's crankiness is due to pain. And don't assume the fever is bad. Try other remedies to soothe him or her first and use drugs as a last result. Dr. Crumbeck likes to use a half to one milliliter, one ml of lemon balm glycerate or lemon balm extract first. It's a very mild calming herb that's incredibly safe and helpful for when babies are in pain. And a calm, soothing mother is worth her weight in gold at a time like this. In Dr. Crumbeck's practice, she also used lipo liposomal glutathione for children who are at risk for autistic disorders or poor methylators. The liposomal form allows glutathione to be absorbed quickly in the intestines before it can be broken down. Most glutathione supplements are not well absorbed because of the rapid breakdown. The active ingredient in Tylenol, acetaminophen, is found in more than 600 drugs, including many over-the-counter medications targeted at children, infants Tylenol, children's Mucinex, and little remedies for fevers, as well as NyQuil and Alka-Seltzer Plus, so be aware. Will the FDA finally act to take popular acetaminophen drugs off the market, or are market forces so strong as to prevail, even in the face of such overwhelming evidence? And if you do vaccinate, ask for the ingredient papers accompanying the vaccine bottle and see what's in it. Check for yourself. If you still feel you must vaccinate or live in a state or country where you're mandated to vaccinate, ask your doctor to do a delayed schedule. If he or she will not, look for one who is. Besides Tylenol, aluminum also impairs glutathione synthesis and hinders the mechanism for replacement. And for the record, what you read does not let vaccines off the hook one bit because they contain brain-damaging aluminum, unavoidable bacteriophage, as well as the viruses and contaminants that can cause significant injury to a child or adult. These injuries include brain swelling and permanent brain injury, seizures and convulsions, and even death. Since 1988, well over $3 billion in compensation has been paid by the federal government to vaccine victims. So hopefully today you have learned not to be afraid of fevers, not to be afraid when your child gets sick and runs a small temperature or even what, what most would consider a high temperature, and also some natural ways and things you can do to reduce the fever instead.
In these troubling times, it's no secret that we are being censored. It's getting harder and harder to spread the truth. Facebook is throttling us, and we don't know how much longer we will be there. Here are a few things you can do to stay in touch with Deep Roots at Home. Firstly, sign up for our newsletter. Jackie sends out exclusive, important content to her readers. The link will be in the show notes. Number two, consider making Deep Roots at Home your homepage in your browser. Number three, print your favorite Deep Roots at Home articles and place them in a binder to have on hand in case of emergency. And finally, follow us on other social media channels. We are now on Telegram and Gab and soon Truth Social. Jackie's greatest desire is that God would be glorified through these dark times. Thanks for joining us on the Deep Roots at Home podcast. We pray it has encouraged you in your walk with the Lord and as you serve your family. Could you do us a favor? If this has blessed you, could you help us spread the word by liking and sharing this podcast with your friends? And don't forget, we have lots of great links in the show notes that go along with today's podcast. See you next time.